We got to teaching people English. You want to know why people, school became so important early on in American history? So that people could ultimately read the Bible. Isn't that interesting? And you know, to me it's kind of interesting today that now the reason why we need new Bibles is because we can't read the English. So maybe we need to get back to teaching English again. I mean, instead of changing the Word of God, maybe we ought to change the education system. I'm just, this is a thought, okay? Because originally in America, again, we taught kids and people how to read so they could get in the Word of God and allow it to change their life. But now we're allowing the Word of God to be changed because people can't read. I just thought that's an interesting, I don't know, that's just something came to me here. I, I don't know, I'm like Brother Huth right now. I'd like to blame the Holy Spirit on that, but anyway... All right, let's go ahead and get started on this thing here. The corruption, uh, examples of corruption. Now, Brother Huth already prayed, okay? So let's go ahead and get things moving here. Right off the bat, he noted 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Again, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Matthew 4, 4, and he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We notice in Luke 24, 44 and 45, he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you. Notice the words, plural, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Again, a spiritual aspect there without the spirit of God is impossible. However, notice again, these are the words. Words are important. And that's what we learn about, uh, you know, when it comes to the Bible, words are important as well. I mean, words change meanings, but in the Bible, they change doctrine. And so it's important that we keep this straight and that we understand how important the words of the Lord are and the words that we hold in our hand in the King James Bible. Now, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, again, we discussed those, we, we mentioned those, we talked about those a little bit yesterday. The big question is, you know, they, they all say the oldest and the best. Well, I have a question mark there. Are they the oldest and the best? Is that the case? Is that really true? Well, Dr. Ernest Caldwell, 1901 to 1974 is when he lived. He was the past president of the University of Chicago. He was a biblical scholar. He was a textual critic. I mean, he was a, a, whatever, a paleographer even. Boy, I don't know what that is. But anyway, that's a big word. He wrote a number of books. Notice what he said. He said, the first two centuries witnessed the creations of the large number of variations known to scholars today. He goes on to say, in the manuscripts of the New Testament, most variations, I believe, were made deliberately. Now listen, these are scholarly people. These, this is a man that did spend his life learning and studying uh, uh, different manuscripts. May I say again, he makes the point that in the first two centuries, be, between zero and 200, that there were all kind of variations being taken, taking place and that they were done on purpose. Now that's important to understand and realize, okay? Not only that, but Dr., uh, a fellow by the name of F.C. Burkett, he was a British theologian also, he wrote that Tertullian in 160 to 220 A.D. and Augustine of Hippo, 354 to 430, both testified. These men testified. If you look their names up in history, you'll see them. They're very popular historical names. They both testified that the scribes in Africa were constantly editing and revising the manuscripts. Now, that's important to realize. They were constantly editing and revising the manuscripts. Now, I don't understand. You know, we go back to the oldest, right? We say, well, the oldest are the most reliable manuscripts. 
Well, my question is this. It was only 100 and 200 A.D. I mean, the scriptures had just been completed in, what, 96 A.D. with John on the Isle of Patmos. So 100 years later, we got people that have already been destroying the scriptures. Within 100 years after the scriptures were completed, we got people already changing them. Now, I don't understand why we have to go back and change scripture already. We were so close to the originals. Remember Philo? Clement of Alexandria, Origen, all of them. Again, aren't you supposed to copy biblical manuscripts, not edit them? And yet that's what they were doing. John W. Burgeon, he was a Greek scholar as well. He, he was a researcher. He was an acclaimed religious teacher. Now, concerning Codex uh, um, uh, 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 Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, he makes a statement. He says, it is easier to find two consecutive verses in which the two manuscripts differ, the one from the other, than, the, than two consecutive verses in which they entirely agree. Now, this is a plain matter of fact of which anyone who pleases may easily convince himself. What he's saying is, you don't believe me? Check it out for yourself. Check out Vaticanus, check out Sinaiticus, and you'll find it's a lot easier to find uh, verses that differ than it will be to find something that agrees totally. Now, I don't know about you, but when we talk about scholarship and people tell us how the King James Bible is an archaic book and it's no longer up to date, it's not practical in the age in which we live, you got to get the newest uh, versions because they go back to the, the most recent, or the, the oldest manuscripts and they're closer to the originals. I, I, I wonder, why do we have to go back to manuscripts that don't even agree with one another, even as Brother Heath was mentioning? That make a lot of sense to me. And so when we think about these, uh, the, the many differences that take place in these uh, particular manuscripts, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, we have just a couple here listed. But you'll find that there's literally verses that are included versus others that are omitted between the two. So you can look at Vaticanus and you'd see that Matthew 24, 35 is included, but in Sinaiticus it's not even there. You'd go right on down the list in Matthew 12, 20, 47. Uh, again, it's omitted in Vaticanus, but it's there in Sinaiticus. You'd go, say, to Luke 23, 17. You'd find in Vaticanus, you, you can't find it. You're looking for it. It's not there. But it's there in Sinaiticus. Now listen, there are literally thousands of other different wordings within those two manuscripts. And, and yet, uh, you know, it's, there's no wonder that Virgin, he, he was like, hey, you know, that's why I had to say what I said, because it's all over the place. Thousands of differences between Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. And so we have the NIV, we've got the NASV, the ESV, the New King James, the RSV, all of these different versions. You want to know what the problem is? The foundation's faulty. It's cracked. And you know you have to have a sure foundation, and yet you've got all of these, all of these different uh, renderings that are found already in both of those manuscripts. And of course we realize that it's really those manuscripts that ultimately produce and, and bring about the Bibles that we have today in the modern versions. So the result, what's the result? Well, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 47 alone, in the New American Standard Version of the Bible there, in 1995 one, it says, someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Do you know that if you'd look up the, the ESV, uh, it, you'd find that it's not even in there. I'm talking about the modern version. I'm not talking about back at Vanny Canis now. I'm not talking about Sinaiticus. I'm talking about the Bible you'd buy off the shelf there in the bookstore, the Christian bookstore. If you get an ESV, uh, you're going to find that if you look at that passage or go look for it, it's not there. It doesn't even exist. 
And why would it exist if they're going to be true to their, their translation? Because in the text, it doesn't, it, it's not there in some of the Alexandrian texts. Now, it is in some of the texts, but it's not in all of the texts. And they made a decision not to allow it. So, and the thing is, is not only do they disagree with the King James Bible in some cases, but the fact is, is that these particular versions, these modern versions, don't even agree among themselves. I find that interesting to me. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 10, again, uh, the, the ESV uh, versus the NASV, it says, when I saw the wicked buried, it goes on to say, and you can look up the whole scriptures, and I don't have the, the room to do that if, for you to see it, but it goes on to say they, and notice it says, talking about the wicked that were buried, were praised in the city. The, the wicked were praised in the city in, in, in the ESV. But in the NASB, the, the New American Standard, it says, in this case, the wicked that were buried, they are soon forgotten in the city. Now listen, these are, these are both modern versions. They come from the same corrupted text, and yet the text of the corrupted text are different. There, there's Sinaiticus, there's, there's Vaticanus, there's also that, you know, that critical text that now they say that Westcott and Hort came along with and made this eclectical text that, that, that brought about all these different Alexandrian texts. And by the way, it's interesting to note that Westcott and Hort, they did not like the King James Bible, and yet they were the ones that were tasked to update it. That makes no sense to me at all. But nonetheless, anyway, and, and, and as Brother Hugh said, by the way, you can actually look at quotes that they made themselves. It's in writing. They did not. They despised the King James Bible. Now, again, on the one hand, you've got the wicked that were praised. On the other, you've got the wicked that are forgotten. My question is this. Which is it? Are, are the wicked being praised or are they being forgotten? I don't know about you, but common sense says that they're not being praised. So the problem, each Bible's translated from a different text then. Now, wait a second. Which text is it then? With the Alexandrian texts, plural, there's all kinds of different pieces and parts, and they're gaining, gleaning from those different pieces and parts. And somebody has to be the authority. Somebody has to determine and decide which one is correct. Each Bible's translated from a different text. Other examples, Matthew 18, 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In the ESV, it says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. How many times are we going to forgive? How many times are we going to forgive? Well, okay, let's see. It depends on what Bible I have. If I have that new international version in the 2011 uh, edition, it's going to tell me I've got 70 times, uh, 70 uh, seven times to forgive. But then again, if I, if I have the ESV, uh, then all of a sudden, I, I, in that case, I've got to be 70 times seven, which is 490. Now listen, this, isn't a, th- this is a, a pretty major doctrine. As a matter of fact, if you ask me, if there's one area that the Christian church is really struggling in, and there's a number, obviously, but one of the main areas that we're struggling in today is forgiveness. And yet, look at we're messing around with the verses. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. But in the NASV, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. I want you to know these are the two most popular books on the market, so to speak. They're some of the ones that people are using left and right. And may I tell you, they don't even agree with themselves, let alone with the King James Bible necessarily. So someone's missing in action here. You got verses literally missing in action. 
You say, what do you mean, preacher? I'm telling you this, that if you look at that list of verses, there are 16 verses there that are not in the Alexandrian text. They're not in Vaticanus. They're not in Sinaiticus. They're not in that Alexandrian text. And as a result of that, they are not in the ESV or the NIV. They don't even, they're not even there. Now, in the NASB, they're bracketed. And there's a note that indicates that the verses were not in the original Bible. By the way, does anybody have one of those? I'd like to, I'd like to hold that in my hand. I mean, it doesn't exist. We haven't had an original Bible. For, I don't even, have we ever had an original Bible? You know, everything compiled together in one book. The point being is, I mean, that, that, was a, that was a long way from Christ. I mean, think about it. I mean, there was pieces and parts everywhere. There were letters to all kinds of different churches. They had to assemble them and bring them together. It's called canonizing the scriptures. <sighs> wow, I don't know. I, nobody's got one of the originals, and yet they have the audacity to tell us that, well, you know, those 16 verses aren't in those corrupt manuscripts, but we'll bracket them and we'll make sure that you're aware that they're... They're not in the original Bible. Well, thank you for telling me that. Surely I wouldn't know that. They must because they're scholarly. You say, well, it's probably no big deal, right? Those verses probably mean nothing. They're probably not very significant. There's nothing really important about them. Well, let's see. Well, Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That seems pretty, pretty important to me. I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but it does to me. Matthew eleven twenty six. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Again, we're dealing with something that's extremely important and it affects the Christian life every single day. And then it's Luke seventeen thirty six. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. I think that's pretty important. That's pretty doctrinal if you ask me. Oh, wait a second. No verse is expendable. Let's consider this one then, Acts 8.37. It's pretty important. Acts 8.37, by the way, look at how mean he looks. He's just very serious-minded, that man is. Very serious. I'm glad he didn't come to my door soul winning. He says, it's a big deal. He's got an attitude. He's like the one his brother Keith was talking about. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yep. Now, that's not in, Alexand- that's not in uh, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Right. It, it's not there. And yet those are the foundational texts of the, the, the modern versions, really. It's all said and done. It is a big deal. Mr. Sirius is right. What about the New King James? Let's be honest. The New King James sounds so King Jamesy. I mean, it's got to be better than the rest, right? I mean, it's got the King James logo on it. Well, that's really... Well, most believe, of course, that the New King James just removes the these and thous, right? I mean, really, when it's all said and done, most people believe that. But you know, there's an interesting thing about that Old English... And again, there's something about it that really helps doctrinally to nail down some things. If you ever notice, notice when the Amish say ye or you, they're referring to two or or more people. When they say ye, uh, thee, thou, thy, thine, they're addressing one person. 
So when you look at that old English and you start to dig into that, those these and thou's and all of that, what you find is that anything that begins with the Y there is plural. Anything with the T is singular. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, you go back over there to John chapter 3, verse 7, and it says over there in John 3, 7, it says, marvel not that I say unto thee, singular, Nicodemus, ye, plural, all of us, Everyone must be born again. You don't get that even in the English today that we have. If you remove the whys, the t's, the these, the thou's. Let me tell you something. This book is not as archaic as it may seem. Matter of fact, this book right here is very, very clear on what it's trying to say. It's very succinct. It's very accurate. And you know what? We can go ahead and remove this book, although it's been with us for years and years and years. It's been a staple. It's been a foundational book. It's been one that we can count on for all these years. But all of a sudden, it's no longer good enough because we're smarter now. The last hundred years, last hundred and fifty years has been a downward spiral in that regard. And it's not even just so much that we've decided to go digging for the old manuscripts. The reality is we just have a very bad attitude toward the Word of God. So the New King James Bible is more similar to the King James in wording. I'll give you that. However, it still uses renderings from the same corrupt text that the other versions use. Now, I know that they'll be telling you, and, they'll, and they're, they're true in this, they'll say, well, the, the foundational text of the King, New King James is really the, the, the Antioch version. It's, it's, that, it's the received text, and I get that, but here's the problem again. How much leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little leaven, the Bible says. And the truth is, is that you sprinkle in those Alexandrian texts, and you interpret certain passages and phrases with the Alexandrian text in mind, then what you have is you have another version that is just simply a product of an Alexandrian corrupted text. Someone says, well, I just went out and bought a new King James Bible. Take it back if you can and get the real thing. Because as this gentleman found out as he looked at that maze, this spells trouble. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Brother Hugh touched on this, but in the New King James Version, it says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if you didn't have another Bible, a real one, you would say to yourself, that's okay. That makes sense to some degree. But when you look at the King James Bible, it says, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, again, I want you to notice the difference here. The word study is being put in place here in the King James, whereas it's being removed from the New King James. Now, I don't know about you, but the rendering in the New King James is supposed to make it more clear. It's supposed to make it more accurate. It's supposed to enable us and help us to be more in tune with God and his word and all of that. And yet, if you ask me, I still don't know how to be approved of God then. He just simply tells me, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Then the King James Bible says, let's solve the problem. And in the text of which it comes from, it defines that and it describes that by saying, study. I think that's pretty simple now. So someone says to me, I'm approved of God. Prove it. What have you studied lately? 
See, we got all these ideas, you know, and what happens is, is we turn around and we say, well, I'm, I, I believe God's pleased with me. Really, how much studying you've been doing in his word? Well, I don't really have time for study. Then you're not approved. But see, you could have another version. You could be simply perfectly fine with God and never once study your Bible then. It makes no sense. We take out the study. The study describes what it takes to be approved. He said, to present yourself approved to God, you need to study. I think it's pretty simple. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22, the King James Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, you've heard that verse a number of times, and so have I. But then you turn around and you look at the new King James. Remember, it's from the same text, of course, as the King James. It says, abstain from every form of evil. Now, there's a vast difference between abstaining from the appearance of evil versus the, 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 the form of evil. I mean to tell you, uh, you can say to me all day long, well, you know, I'm doing my best to stay out of evil. Yeah, but the Bible goes a step further and says you shouldn't even be associated with it. You've got to abstain from all appearance of it. Even if it appears to be evil, you stay away from it. Boy, how, how much more succinct, how much more detailed, how much more clear is the King James Bible? And someone says, well, how do you know that's the word of God? Well, first of all, that one right there actually narrows it down a little bit and demands a little bit more of me. I think that when it comes to God, he's pretty perfect. And if he wants me to be like Christ, then I have to be perfect. And so the truth is that the book that I hold in my hand, the King James Bible, says to me, hey, you need to be as close to God as you can possibly get. You don't just need to abstain from the form of it. You need to abstain from the appearance of it. This is serious business. Notice, Mr. Serious again. The corrupted text finds its way into all the versions. No joke. Take it from him. He knows. I'm telling you, I would not want to meet that guy in a dark alley. John chapter 7, verse 8 through 10, the New American Standard Version. Notice it says, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Now I want you to notice again, go up to the feast yourselves. He said, I do not go up to this feast. I do not go up to this feast. Fellas, I'm not going. And then the Bible goes on to say, but when his brothers had gone to the feast, then he himself also went up. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, if I said something to you like that, and I, and I said, no, you fellas go to the party. I'm not going. And then you get to the party and I show up. You go, you said you weren't going. You told us to go ourselves. And down deep, you'd be going what? You are a liar. Do you know what this book makes our God? The Lord Jesus Christ? Do I even have to say it? I'm afraid to say it. Again, the English Standard Version, the ESV, makes the same error. It does the exact same thing that the NASB does. And consider the King James Bible and the NIV, though. Watch this. This is interesting, though. Remember, we're talking about the other versions as well. They don't always agree with one another. But the King James says, go ye up into this feast. I go not up yet. Isn't that interesting? Then he shows up. He said, go ahead, fellas, you take off. I don't go up there yet. I'm not going yet. And then he shows up. And they go, oh. Here he is. Well, remember, he even hit himself, though, at that point. But the NIV does the same thing. The 1984 edition, it says, you go to the feast. It says, I am not yet going. 
Hey, there's a big difference from not yet going, or in this case, go not up yet, compared to just, I'm not going. So we see here that both those versions, if you will, both those Bible, well, the King James Bible and the NIV version, that it maintains Jesus' character and integrity. But this is funny about the versions. This is what's really interesting. There's always going to be change that's made in order to, once again, provide a better and a more reliable translation, a more accurate rendering of the passage. So what they did was, in 2011, they took the NIV that, that was already, and they decided to update it, to revise it. When they revised it, you know what they did? Ha-ha. You go to the festival? I am not going up to this festival. So the version, the 1984 version of the NIV is different from the 2011 version. Once again, they've changed it because obviously somebody must have found an older, more reliable manuscript between 1984 and 2011. Either that or somebody got really smart between then and said, you know what? Hmm, we messed up. It's time to change the Bible again. Because we now know we were wrong when we translate the first time. I mean, Jesus, I guess, is a liar. He wasn't, but he is now. Once again, the revisions clarify and reflect more closely the originals, right? Wrong. Look at this. Mark chapter 1, verse 41 in the NIV. And I bring the NIV out, and I know it's not the most popular one now. But this one just got me so good. I, I could not... I couldn't resist. It says, in the 1984 version, it says that Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. We have this man with a withered hand. And, and, and here he is. I mean, he's broken. He, he's, he's, he's been in a, a bad way. And the Lord Jesus shows up, and the man's standing there just in need of Jesus. And filled with compassion, Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man and says, I am willing, be clean. That's in an NIV. But look what they did in 2011. This amazing. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing. He said, be clean. Do you know that Goliath was indignant at the challenge of David? That's really what he was. He was indignant. He was annoyed by David. He was angered at David. How dare you send this puny pipsqueak out to fight me? Who do you think I am? Am I a dog? And Jesus is standing there, this man with a withered hand, and he's broken, and he's, he's been struggling, and he's di having difficulty in his life. And, and Jesus, he says... All right, fine. Give me the hand. Let's fix that thing and get it over with. I don't know about you, but there's something wrong with that right there. Now, I don't know why in 2011 they decided to change it into this indignant versus compassion. But there's a big difference from someone exhibiting compassion or being indignant. So just one more thing before we close this. In 1 John 5, 7, and 8, I couldn't get past this one. This, this is a biggie. In the King James Bible, we read, there, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are, what? 
They're one. They're one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now again, in the New American, uh, New International Version, and of course the ESV, the NASB, notice it says, for there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. And then in the NASV, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, I don't know about you, but if, 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 if you, like me, just read that, you probably know there's something missing. Now, again, the King James Bible includes 24 words that the others do not. But the addition of those words provides us with a proof text for the Trinity. Now listen, the Trinity is throughout the Word of God. Don't misunderstand me. But if you go searching the Bible for a text verse, a proof of the Trinity that just says flat out, boom, here it is, without doubt. You can't, it's undeniable. There it is. You're going to have a little bit of a hard time. But you got one right there. Well, you do if you have a King James Bible. If you have a King James Bible. But it seems to me that academia has thrown God and the, and, and, and the Bible under the bus at times. I mean, God, I'm sure, wants us to understand that, 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 that the Trinity is indeed as he describes it. Charles Ryrie, he has a study Bible. And again, Charles Ryrie, you know, he probably wrote a lot of good things. Don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here. But listen to what happens here as he can, can, uh, uh, addresses this particular passage in the Bible. In the New Testament, he says, The New Testament contains no explicit statement of the doctrine of the triunity of God. Since, quote, these three are one, unquote, in 1 John 5, 7, is apparently not a part of the genuine text of Scripture. What he's pointing out is this. And, and listen, if you will read from Ryrie, he'll, he'll tell you he believes in the Trinity, okay? And he, he will. He'll tell you this, the triune God and all of that. He gets it in that regard. However, he, he's going to go ahead now, even though he has a Ryrie study Bible in the King James, a Ryrie study Bible in these different versions, the truth is, is that uh, Dr. Ryrie, he, he's starting to buy into this scholarship thing. And he's saying, well, you know what? The, the Bible does not contain any explicit statement on the doctrine of the tri- triunity of God because these three are one. Really, it's not a part of the genuine text of Scripture. It's not in the originals. What do you mean it's not in the originals? It's not in the Alexandrian text. I'm just saying, we talked about that. There are two lines of manuscripts, and they are extremely different. Don't let anybody kid you. There is a difference, and it's important to at least recognize that difference. And someone says, well, I've got a lot of questions. Yep, join the team. We all do. There's a lot of questions about a lot of things, whether it's about what the Bible teaches and says, whether it's about, you know, just, you know, what's your kid going to do in life? We've all got questions. We've got all kinds of things that we're trying to figure out in life. And honestly, if you want to get confused, you can go ahead and dig and dig into this issue. And the truth is you'll find good men on both sides of the issue. And you'll say, they'll say they're right. And these guys will say they're right. But when it's all said and done, you cannot deny the fact that there are two lines of manuscripts. And this Bible comes from one of those lines. And the rest come from the other. That, that's at least, you get that much. And let me tell you something. It's interesting about majorities when it comes to God. It always seems like it's a few there be that go in there at. So wherever there's a majority, you might want to start looking for the minority. 
You got to be careful of that. Again, be, be careful. Now, what about the next generation? I, I, you know, I, I had some really doozies I wanted to give you. Some that, I, you know, you know how this, brother, you know how it is when you come across those that you come across? You know, that have stuck with you for years? I'm not going to share those, okay? But they're doozies. We don't have time. What about the next generation? Sadly enough, fewer and fewer are reading the scriptures. And even fewer are studying them now. And, you know, how do we expect the faith to remain if we're not going to make a big deal of the scriptures? The words of God are being questioned, they're criticized, they're being corrected by the so-called educated and the elite. That's intimidating for our young people in many cases. Somebody has a PhD or some other acronym in front or behind their name and they think, well, uh, they're smarter than me. You know, isn't it sad today when you, and I'm just going to say this because it kind of goes along with the whole concepts, but you think about the new churches and where we're heading today and there's been all these churches that were, just like 40 years, if you go back 40 years, can you find a fundamental church, as Brother Hugh said, that's still, uh, you know, what'd you say, uh, holding to the King James, preaching the King James and really solid in the King James uh, that was around 40 years ago. And he said, good luck, I'll save you the time, don't look. Well, you, you know, it's kind of sad, isn't it? How churches today, we're doing the same thing with, with, with our, our, our services, and we're doing the same thing with our worship. And the older people feel like they're so, they're so intimidated by the young people. And they hold on, well, you guess you just got to, you can't preach to young people like you used to. And, and you got to change the Bible. And you can't have that kind of music. And you can't preach that hard. And, and I get it. And we gotta, I guess you just got to change. In the Bible, you know, things have changed through the years. And you, you got to change with the times. You can't be an old fuddy-duddy, an old stick in the mud. Let me tell you something. There are some things that cannot change. And I'm going to tell you one of them that can't change is this old King James Bible. As long as there's an English-speaking person... English-speaking person, did you hear me? English-speaking person, this book is just fine. If you need to go to school and learn English, then you go to school and learn English. You don't need a new Bible. You just need to get in it. And so do I. Dr. Henry Morris, the founder and president emeritus of, uh, of Institution for Creation Research, he made this statement. He said, I believe, therefore, after studying, teaching, and loving the Bible for over 55 years, that Christians, especially creationists, need to hang on to their old King James Bibles as long as they live. God has uniquely blessed it in the history of England and America, in the great revivals, in the worldwide missionary movement, and in the personal lives of believers more than he has through all the rest of the versions put together. Don't let it go. Hold on to that book. What we're finding today, it's interesting, I was talking to Brother Musselman just last night. What we're finding today more than anything else is a young man comes into the pulpit after years of faithfulness of a, an older man stayed to the stuff and stuck to the stuff and a congregation followed their pastor and stuck to the stuff. And then a young man gets in the pulpit and a couple years later he begins to introduce new versions, introduce new music, introduce new standards. May I say, this old book hasn't changed. You get away from this, the rest of it falls by the wayside. You better hold on to your King James Bibles because there is a battle we're fighting. 
Like old Henry Moore said, especially creationists. You believe in that creation, you better hold on to that King James Bible because it's going to be changed so that it fits evolution. Let's hold on to it. Let's hold on to it. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together in the word. And Lord, just to look over some verses.